0: My name is Pablo, Pablo Martinez. I come from Barcelona, Spain. I came on purpose for the meeting today. And uh, I'm glad to be here with you. It was a very, so far, it has been a very good day. And uh, I'm really delighted to see the interest that uh, you have in your country about the integration of uh, Christian faith and psychology and mental health. I think it's an important area where integration is greatly needed. A fawn in the flesh, strength and hope amid chronic suffering. Usually when a speaker is introduced, um, several things are said about his credentials, uh, doctorates, uh, books he has written, uh, countries he has traveled, etc., etc. I would say that this afternoon my best credential, my moral authority, is that I have been struggling with a thorn in the flesh for many, many years. I've got an ocular disease, juvenile glaucoma, Uh, since I was 18 years old. I had surgery about uh, 14 times, which is not a very pleasant experience, I can assure you. Eye surgery. And uh, just about uh, four years ago, InterVarsity Press knew about the long journey I had into, let's say, acceptance of the thorn and how to, in a sense, benefit from the thorn, and they asked me to write a book. Um, the book is this one, but don't go to the bookshop because it was sold out this morning. So, But you can order it in any uh, bookshop, Christian bookshop in England. Um, it's published by InterVarsity You will have the handouts in five minutes, a few minutes. And uh, once they arrive, you you can just hand them out for them. So this afternoon, I would like to speak not so much from the mind, but from the heart, Um, to share a little bit of my own uh, personal journey. There are some um, places here, and there are also small chairs. If you don't feel like in a kindergarten, you can take these chairs and sit here, Um, because it would be much more pleasant for you you can take these small chairs in the morning many people were sitting in the small chairs seems that the thorn is becoming quite popular I hope you are masochists <laughs> So as I told you, I would like to speak more from the heart rather than from the mind, if I can make this distinction. I will try to be practical this afternoon and try to give you some hints. Uh, based not so much on my own subjective experience, which after all is a personal experience, but more on the text in Second Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul speaks about his own thorn in the flesh so let's start with the first question our first point this afternoon what is a thorn what is a thorn we'll be talking about chronic suffering not so much uh, short term acute suffering but basically long term suffering I'd like to suggest that a thorn has five distinctive features which at the same time are the effects or the results, what a thorn causes in our mind, in our spirit, in our life. First of all, it is a painful experience. A thorn produces pain. This pain is certainly sometimes physical, a physical pain. But even more important than the physical pain is the emotional or the moral pain that some thorn experiences bring forth in themselves. The person usually feels broken inside, broken by the pain. You are familiar with the sentence, I cannot stand with it anymore, I cannot endure it anymore, I want it to stop to finish, it is painful, either physically or morally. The second effect, the second feature of a thorn, is that it is a limiting experience. It causes, it imposes limitations related to your previous life. So if the pain makes you feel broken, the limitations make you feel helpless, you feel helpless. Many times the thorn reduces our autonomy, our independence, our own personal freedom. Those of you who have gone through a thorn, either personally or some relatives or loved ones, you will know that chronic sickness or disabilities... Cancer, for example, which can be considered a thorn, as we'll see in a minute. They impose limitations. There are some things I could do, which now I'm not able to do anymore. Some losses. These limitations lead us to the third feature and the third effect of a thorn, it is a humiliating experience. We can see this very clearly in the thorn of Paul in Second Corinthians. He had a tendency to boast. You remember the origin, the purpose of the boast of the thorn, so that in order that I do not boast, a thorn, a messenger from, from whom? from Satan, don't forget this, a messenger, a messenger from Satan was given to me. The purpose in the case of Paul was to avoid boast. Because a thorn is usually a humiliating experience. It makes us feel first broken, second helpless, third weak and small. The thorn makes us feel weak and small our self-esteem is severely affected. Take for example the person who as a result of a sickness or perhaps a traffic, a road accident has lost mobility of the legs or the arms. It is really humiliating at least in the first periods. Self-esteem is severely affected. Your physical appearance, your job, your personal relationships, all of them can be greatly affected by the thorn. Life after the thorn starts in many ways, but starts in a much more difficult way. Who am I now? This is the question when the thorn touches you. I was so and so. I had a good sense of personal identity. But now, who am I? Have you wondered this question after the thorn touches you? So weakness is a constant characteristic of the thorn. You've got the handouts now? Okay. Thank you. So it is painful, it is limiting, you feel broken, you feel helpless, it is humiliating, you feel weak. Fourthly, it is prolonged, it is a long-term suffering. The painful situation does not improve with time. It can list sometimes years or perhaps a lifetime. Notice, it can be constant or repetitive. It can go in relapses. You are well for a time, and then all of a sudden you have a relapse and you are severely affected for some time. And then you improve, and life becomes a constant up and down with the relapses, episodes, recurring episodes. Partial relief can be found But the basic problem persists. And finally, the last effect and the last feature of the thorn is that it implies a battle, fight. It is a battle in three areas, a threefold battle. It is a battle with circumstances. You have to adapt to circumstances, you have to adapt to the new landscape in life you have after the disability or the thorn. It's a struggle, it's a fight against yourself, your own reactions that we will consider in a minute. And many times it is also a battle, struggle with, can you tell? with God struggling with God spiritual crisis many times a thorn bears fruit in a positive sense it is an experience of renewal but sometimes it can be negative it can lead a person to a crisis of faith it can lead to spiritual bankruptcy the good thing according to the passage of the thorn in the F- in the flesh of the apostle paul is that this struggle this struggle makes us depend every day more and more on christ's grace because when i am weak then i am strong the strength of weakness This whole chapter, chapter 4 in my book, is fully devoted. We'll not be able to develop this point this afternoon. But don't forget that when we are weak, we are strong. So by now, we know the features and the effects of a thorn. Five distinctive features. And now I would like to stop for some seconds and help you reflect for yourselves. As I told you, I don't want to give a lot of material this afternoon, but help you to reflect. Have I ever gone, I would like you to ask yourselves, have I ever gone through a thorn experience? (laughs) Myself, or those people around me? Well, you probably are not touched by a chronic physical or mental sickness, Probably you are not suffering from disabilities, either from disease or birth or accident. But what about serious relational problems? Sometimes a certain individual can be our thorn. People can become a thorn because they fulfill the five features we mentioned. There are certainly some cases of thorns in the Bible who were people. David, the king, had a thorn in the person of Saul. Saul persecuted him, a paranoid king, totally sick, for 18 years. That's a long period, 18 years. And we'll read some of David's experiences in the Psalms. How he suffered, how it was a painful experience, how he felt helpless, how he felt broken, how his self-esteem was affected. You see all the points we mentioned? The Apostle Paul had two particular individuals, two men who had caused him a lot of trouble. You remember their names? Himeneus and Philetos. I don't know the English word for this, but they are mentioned in one of Paul's letters. So sometimes the thorn can be a person. Have you ever thought about Moses' thorn? What was Moses' thorn? Why did Moses get a depression caused by exhaustion? Was totally burnout, a burnout depression. What was the cause for his thorn? A grumbling, complaining, ever complaining, the specialty of the people of Israel was murmuring, that was the specialty of the people of Israel, complaining about everything and that eroded the resistance, the emotional and spiritual resistance of Moses and he finally broke down in uh, the book of Numbers chapter 14 when we see the burnout depression he went through. So, let's go to our second point. We've seen now what is a thorn. Second, when the thorn touches us, it produces some initial reactions. We call these the natural reactions, the natural answers to the blow. When you are hit... It has some effects on your skin. So let's consider these effects. Basically, there are four consequences when the thorn touches us. We will mention them in a minute, but before I mention them, let me tell beforehand that these reactions are normal, necessary, and even positive normal, necessary and even positive for a certain period of time, let's say the first months, first weeks, depending very much on the kind of thorns, some acute, brutal thorns are, uh, in this sense, taking more time to adapt. Let's give some time for the handouts to be distributed. Who is missing handouts? A lot of them. Still. So let's let's pause for a moment. Okay, now you are ready to follow it better. So the thorn touches us, and it produces four effects that we'll consider in a minute. And we said that these effects are natural, normal, and even positive. They are a reaction that help us get adapted, an adaptive, a defensive reaction. They help us to fight better. It's a transition. And I want to emphasize the idea of a transition. There is, they are a transition from the blow to the goal of our journey, which is acceptance. The ultimate destination, the last station of the journey, is real. Mature acceptance. But from the blow to acceptance, there is a transition period, an intimidate period, where we have the following reactions. First of all, bereavement. Bereavement. When the thorn touches us, most of the time, we are facing losses. Some people lost their autonomy. Some people lost their mental stability, some people lost their capacity to shave or to make use of their fingers. You can think of any loss, and usually it's not only one loss, but if I can put it this way, a catalogue of losses. A phone usually brings forth a catalogue of losses, so it's a multiple bereavement experience. It is very important that you are aware, you identify the fact that you are going through bereavement. Why is it so important? Because bereavement has no shortcuts. Bereavement is a journey you have to walk through, a journey that has a beginning, and fortunately it also has an ending. But there are no shortcuts. You have to walk So you have to go through the experience of facing these losses. This could be summarized, this experience of bereavement could be summarized with the sentence, Life, nothing, will be like it was before. The landscape in my life has changed dramatically. Actually, bereavement, which is somehow uh, very much connected with our topic healthy, even healthy, normal bereavement produces a change of our identity. We are never the same after facing bereavement. But that's another topic. If you are interested, I have also written a book on bereavement, Tracing the Rainbow, you may get it. I think this one is downstairs, by the way. It was not intended to be propaganda, but it's just... Uh, bereavement. Second reaction in this transition period from the blow to acceptance anger anger you rebel you protest you are angry with yourself why was so was, why was i so stupid to make such a mistake real or not sometimes guilt feelings are false guilt feelings by the way, this is another key symptom in bereavement: guilt, usually false guilt. Guilt that does not correlate with a real mistake. False guilt is a symptom in bereavement, and that leads to be angry. That leads you to be angry with yourself, also angry with others. A change in your personality, in the way you treat others. You start feeling irritable. And the spouse or the children or the parents say, You were never like this. What's happening to you? You have changed. You have changed. That's true. You have changed. Now, the problem of anger is not anger in itself, but the children and grandchildren of anger. (sighs) What are the children and grandchildren of anger? Resentment and bitterness. When anger is kept inside, it reproduces itself. It has an extraordinary capacity to multiply into something which is not anger anymore. Resentment and bitterness. And while I said that anger in itself is normal, and certainly it is not a sin, we have to be very careful, because resentment and bitterness are a sin. Bitterness is what quenches the Holy Spirit. And you will be wondering, when is anger becoming resentment or bitterness, how do I notice? How do I notice? It is basically a matter of time. When anger is stored up in your mind and you go feeding, I underline this word, feeding your negative thoughts and feelings in such a way that arises hostility, hostility towards those around us, or God, or even yourself. That is a symptom that anger has become resentment, or bitterness. Can you make a diagnosis of a bittered person? Who is someone who is bittered? is a person who is totally unable, or almost unable, to see any positive thing. Bittered people see everything from a negative perspective, totally black perspective. Everything is wrong, everything is bad, there is no future, there is no life ahead of me, etc., Be angry, but do not sin. Who said this? Paul. When does anger become a sin? When the sun sets upon your anger. Well, of course, this is a, an exaggeration, uh, because we cannot solve anger always on the same day, but the measure is time. Because time is what makes your anger to be stored up. So you have to work with anger. Thirdly, anxiety. Anxiety is an over-concern about your future. What shall I do with my life? What shall happen with me? Shall I keep my work or not? Shall I have enough money to survive? Now, anxiety is not that nervous character which worries about everything, every time and everywhere. This is a temperamental trait that it's not uh, a sin in itself. Anxiety is making God small. Anxiety in practice means making God a pocket God. Mistrusting the capacity of God to guide you, to protect you, to fulfill His promises. That is anxiety, a kind of anxiety that can be harmful to our spiritual life. And finally, depression. You know a lot about depression, so I will not go into detail. Usually, depression is the final outcome when bereavement and especially anger, have not been fully solved. Depression is hostility addressed towards yourself. In this case, depression is hostility addressed to yourself. So depression is the last step in this process. Now let's summarize so far. We said we are in a journey. The journey that goes from the blow to acceptance. This journey has a transition period that has all these natural reactions which little by little disappear. So the normal, the physiological outcome is that as time goes by, your bereavement, your anger, your anxiety and your depression will improve. If they do not improve, it means either that you are stagnated in the process of of acceptance or that there is some deeper problem that requires counselling. So in this case, I would suggest go for more professional counselling. Up to now, you did not need to go to a counsellor because as we said, they are normal reactions. How are you? Are you alright? Okay, it's not uh, too warm, you are Okay. Okay. Um, I would like to have uh, at least 10 minutes for questions so that means that I have only a quarter of an hour more ahead of me we'll have to squeeze now we continue in our journey we have seen the effects of a thorn the five distinctive features we have seen the initial reactions this transition period we said that The goal is acceptance. Acceptance. Acceptance, the key weapon for defeating the enemy. Now, acceptance is a very tricky word. This is why I want to start saying, explaining what acceptance is not. You will find it in your handouts. But before we do that, a piece of practical advice. Acceptance is a personal inner experience. Beware not to tell a person you have to accept. Never ever use that piece of counseling. Don't preach acceptance. You may talk about acceptance, you may talk about the importance of acceptance, acceptance as a goal, but never say, you have to accept. Have you ever been told, you have to accept, when you're going through a thorn? What reactions does it cause in you? I would like to discuss that for two or three minutes, just in couples or threes. Um, What reaction did it cause in you? Uh, if you feel this is a very personal affair, uh, just don't. But I think it's good for you to to react. You have to accept. Okay, I realize you have a very lively discussion. Um, that means that it's a very uh, touchy, sensitive subject. And I'm sure you have been preached sometimes in your life. You have to accept it's important that you mention acceptance as the ultimate destination, but be careful not to preach acceptance, because acceptance is something that grows from the inside, why? because acceptance is ultimately a spiritual experience a personal spiritual experience that takes a lot of time, sometimes years as I wrote the book, The Phone in the Flesh, there were two words, closely related, constantly revolving in my mind, that occur in the book. Acceptance and grace. Acceptance and grace, and I want to leave this idea with you this afternoon, because it's probably the most important idea. Acceptance and grace are like the two wings of a bird real acceptance mature acceptance is not something you can produce by yourself through the different means or mechanisms we will mention in a minute real mature acceptance is not the result of your own effort but ultimately is the result of God working within you through the power of his grace this is the essence ...of the message Paul describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12... ...the thorn in the flesh. The Lord has told me... ...my grace is sufficient to you... ...for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now notice, when Paul says, the Lord has told me... ...the original Greek text... Suggest the idea that means the Lord keeps saying me. The Lord constantly repeats me. So it is not an aorist in the Greek, one point, once happened. A unique, one personal experience, and that was all, that was enough. But it's something that needs constant renewal, to depend constantly on God's grace to accept my thorn situation. The Lord keeps telling me, my grace is sufficient to you. So, acceptance has these two wings like a bird. Sorry, uh, yes, grace and acceptance are always together. What are the natural resources of acceptance? Well, You will be wondering, is it legitimate to ask for healing? Where does healing come here? I want to get rid of my thorn. Can I ask the Lord to to take it away from me? I think we all agree. The answer is yes. It's not only our right, but our duty, we have the right and the duty to ask for delivery healing but how many times (laughs) for how many years when do I know that I should uh, stop praying this way and change my prayer we don't have a clear answer but certainly a moment comes when after asking, pleading with the Lord several times, earnestly, Lord, take it away from me. I want healing. And the moment comes when you clearly get the perception that the Lord says, the important thing is not for you to get rid of it, but to acquire, to have a new dimension which is God's power, God's strength. And here we are touching again an important point. In our thorn journey, in our thorn experience, more important than getting rid of it is acquiring, having a new dimension, a new relationship, an inner spiritual experience that leads us to acceptance. Let me put it in one sentence. The important thing is not to be without the thorn, but to be with Christ. With Christ's Christ's power. What does it mean to accept? You may go back to your notes, to the outline. To accept does not mean to resign oneself. I call this the stoic, fatalist version. I have tried all things I could. Now I cannot do anything else, so I just do nothing. This is not acceptance. This is just passivity, being passive. But many people in our society have this idea that acceptance is what you do when you're going to do anything. When you're going to do anything, then you accept. This is totally wrong. Because as we will see, acceptance is something fruitful, active, that can even give you joy. Secondly, to accept does not mean to put up a shield. I call this the Eastern or the Buddhist version. The important thing is that this situation, this experience, does not affect me. I want a protection And you struggle to get a kind of mental nirvana so that your feelings are harmless to you. To accept, thirdly, does not imply agreement with the thought. Again, a rubbish piece of counselling. Have you ever been told you have to become a friend with your thorn have you been told something like this this is not helpful at all and it is not biblical we don't have a God who wants masochistic children God does not ask us to become friends with our thorns why? because thorn is, is suffering and God does not want suffering does not like suffering so we are not called to be friends with our suffering certainly we are not called to be enemies because if you are an enemy with your thorn you spend all your energy emotional, spiritual Struggling against the thorn. When you have an enemy, you battle against. Neither friend, masochist version, nor the enemy, which is a burning out experience. Where is the answer? You have it in your notes. The thorn should become your ally. In a war, two countries go together. Let's say, in the Gulf War, um, Syria and the States in 1991. Were Syria and the States two friend nations? What were they? Allies. What does an ally do? Work together with, for a certain common purpose this is exactly the idea I want to give you an ally is an experience that helps us understand that God is working something in our lives through the thorn I'd like to give you a definition of a thorn Sorry, of acceptance. Acceptance means to reach the serene conviction that God can use my life not only in spite of my thorn, but through it. Isn't it true that there is a big difference? When you say, God will use me in a spite of. If you say, in spite of, where are you putting the emphasis? On the negative. The thorn is still a barrier, a limitation, a hindrance, an obstacle to be removed. But if you say, God will use me through my thorn, where are you putting the emphasis? In the ally. My thorn can be a fruitful experience. My brothers and sisters, I don't want to sound triumphalistic. That takes time. And we need to depend on grace. A grace that empowers. A grace that transforms. This is my last point. A grace that gives us maturity, but that takes time let's for a minute remember the example of Joseph in the Old Testament. You tells to his brothers, intended to harm me. Joseph had a thorn in his brothers. They made his life impossible they They let him into the most negative experience he could ever have in life, separation from his father, when he had lost his mother at the age of seven. And yet he says, you intended to harm me, but God, do you remember the rest of the verse? Meant, transformed, changed it for good because there were certain purposes. My brothers and sisters, there are two levels of reality in our lives. There is a lower level, the level of reality, the things, the circumstances that happen to us every day. Circumstances many times on which we don't have control. But there is an upper level where God is making sense of these circumstances, guiding, leading, controlling, delivering all these things Joseph experienced I remember once the uh, statement of uh, the Argentinian writer Borges who referred to Kafka another writer German Czech writer and said the great ability of Kafka was his extraordinary capacity to transform tragedies into fables. Do you know what a fable is? story that has a sense of purpose. When I read this statement by Borges, you can imagine what I thought. If Kafka was able to transform tragedies into fables, my God is a magnified Kafka. I have a great Kafka who is able to write stories with purpose although this may take time. Before I give a short time for questions, I just want to mention the ingredients of genuine acceptance. All these points are widely developed in the book, if you have a chance to have a look on it. Acceptance is a process of inner transformation that develops on three levels of a person we need to learn the thorn differently and the Bible refers to this as contentment contentment according to Philippians 4 verses 11 to 13 contentment means not being trapped by circumstances not being bound by circumstances Having a certain autonomy in such a way that your your life does not become a roller coaster according to circumstances. Learn to see things differently. Let's take an illustration because I realize you are very uh, alive and you are following me. So I'm just uh, abusing your patience for a moment. You get lost in a forest. You are alone. What will you do? the best thing to do is try to find a higher place, a higher place, because if you get to a higher place, you will have a different view, and that helps you greatly find the way out. The way out. This is exactly the idea of contentment, trying to see things from a different perspective. learning to think differently it's a result of the previous one here we could mention a lot about cognitive training you know that cognitive training has a strong biblical foundation taking captive making captive every thought to obedience to Christ do you remember that verse? this is the embryo of cognitive therapy, isn't it? Now, how do you make captives? Do you make captives just sitting on a sofa and watching TV? What does making a captive imply? Struggle? Fight? Effort? And then, you're able to make a captive and take it to Christ. You have to struggle with negative thoughts. Three Main negative thought in a thorn experience It's my fault, a personal interpretation of it. It affects all my life, a global dimension. It will last for the rest of my life, a permanent effect. It's my fault, it affects my all my life, it will never change. If you put in your mind these three thoughts, you know the result? What is the result? Depression or a festival of self-pity? You plunge into self-pity. You have to take these thoughts captive. A thorn, most of the times, is not your fault. It's not affecting all your life, but just part of your life. I remember a Spanish journalist who became tetraplegic, lost mobility of hands, arms and legs as a result of a road accident. And in an interview on television, he said, I feel like a millionaire who has lost 10 pounds. It was a very impressive statement. Why? His emphasis was not so much on what he had lost, but on what he still kept and had. I think I have to close. Learning to live differently. Adaptation. But let me give you a final illustration about this uh, Learning to think differently. I hope you'll remember this illustration at least for many years, if not your, all your life. We all have in our life, in our mind, two rooms a cellar, a basement, and an attic. The cellar is the dark, humid place is the place where all our problems and worries and concerns and tragedies are. We all have a basement. The basement is real. But there is also an attic. Can you describe me what an attic is like? Light, panoramic view, it's pleasant, it's nice. Now, most of us, especially those of us going through thorn experiences, spend most of our life in which room? in the basement, in the cellar. Why? There is a very obvious answer. What is, it, what is easier, going down or going up? Psalm 103, a real model of cognitive therapy by David, verses 1 to 5. David was in the cellar when he started writing the psalm downcast, persecuted by his thorns. Bless my soul once. Bless my soul twice. Bless my soul four times. Bless my soul four times. Warming him up. Spiritually. Effort. It requires effort to go up to the attic. The strength to go up to the attic comes from grace may God give you the grace to face your own thorns and also to help those who are going through a thorn God bless you